Welcome to The Defiant. I'm your host, Tegan Klein. Today, we are joined by the co-founding forces behind Goldfinch, Blake West and Mike Sale. They share with us a bit about what they learned from over 70 user interviews from everyone from BlackRock, Apollo, to retired nurses, as well as their excitement around the user experience improvements for the entire Web3 and crypto space, and how that UX and UI improvement will impact the Goldfinch protocol. How they saw 162% year-over-year growth in 2022 with no defaults. Blake and Mike give us insight into their thoughts around how crypto will reshape the global economy, expanding access to capital around the world, and what they're building to make that possible. But first, they give us the TLDR of Goldfinch, as well as what they're both focused on. The high level on Goldfinch is it's a private credit platform that has a protocol underneath it that's using the blockchain technology to essentially enable greater liquidity and safety and cost efficiency for these private credit deals, which are our loans to businesses around the world. And so now uh, there is currently through Goldfinch over $100 million in active loans across borrowers in over 20 countries. And so that's the uh, that's the TLDR on what Goldfinch is. And then uh, I am one of the co-founders uh, of Goldfinch, and, and so is Blake. Amazing. And tell us a little bit about your day-to-day as co-founders. What are you focused on? Oh, man. I feel like uh, every day is very different. Uh, but uh, one of the, the joys of being a co-founder is you get to like put your hands in kind of a lot of different pots. And so, you know, overall, we just, we're always focused on the strategy and like, where, where are we going? What's thinking about the product? Where's the market going? How do all these things fit together? Um, crypto moves so fast, but it makes it so interesting as a, as a space to be an entrepreneur in. So I don't know. Every day is very different, but generally strategy, product, um, and the technology for me as I'm the CTO. Amazing. And then can you double click into the problem you're solving with Goldfinch? Yeah, I can, I can share more about that. And I think to understand the problem Goldfinch is solving, it's helpful to think about the broader context we're in uh, with the macro economy and also like private credit because we're in this particular moment. Well, maybe, maybe it helps to describe what private credit is. Private credit is uh, giving loans out to businesses in a private sense. So compared to, say, public markets where public companies can uh, issue, issue debt, Private credit is when companies that are private uh, get investment from from investors who have, over the past number of decades, traditionally been like institutional folks. But right now, in the current economic environment, private credit is at a moment where it can really, really take off. And that's because we have seen very high interest rates recently with the Fed increasing the, the, the treasury rate. And then that means that these high quality businesses around the world are able to offer really strong yields, especially compared to the, the, you know, the past several decades. At the same time, we, we see stocks having you know one of its worst years now in like a very long time. And that comes uh, at the kind of following a broader trend of the broader markets and investors starting to to lose confidence in the stock markets. There's a there's an index that Yale keeps of confidence in stock markets, which has just been gradually declining over the past 20 years. And so that means that like right now, investors, a lot of the ones that we've been talking to, have been starting to look for new options and explore like alternative ways of of getting uh, yields. And this is where kind of private credit is a perfect fit for them because uh, it it provides this, this kind of yield, especially in the current markets. And at the same time, it's becoming more available to individual investors, not just to the institutions that have primarily been able to participate in this. 
then, then we take that moment in time right now where private credit is really compelling for, for individuals, and then when we see what the blockchain can help us do to like supercharge it. Because when we use crypto technology, that allows us to increase the liquidity of these investments, which is another thing that these uh, most, most investors that we talk to really care about, whereas institutions, they can lock up capital for a decade plus, but individuals have, have more sort of liquidity needs. And so what, what crypto can do is allow us to increase the liquidity of these, enable different ways for individuals to get liquidity on their investments, as well as help to like dramatically improve the operations of running these deals. And so that is at a high level, the, the, the problem that we are solving for the, the investor side of this market is by creating this, this, this private credit platform with Goldfinch, it enables us to provide these private credit deals and this like new kind of asset class offering to this investor group of individuals who traditionally, like even like, you know, folks like me and Blake, we've never had the ability to participate in these deals before, but now we can use crypto to make that possible. Amazing. I want to dive into that a little bit more and touch on the interviews you guys have been doing and also tap into how listeners can get involved in this private credit market. But before we do, I want to chat a little bit about your founding story, both Blake and Mike. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in crypto? Yeah, sure. So so Mike and I actually, we go way back um, to college days. So we've known each other actually since fr- uh, first day of college freshman year, we were randomly paired together as roommates. Um, and we've actually kind of been working on a bunch of just various projects and stuff uh, since that time. Uh, everything from music notation systems to uh, you know sports sports betting stuff to uh, music collaboration websites. Anyway, um, so Mike and I have known each other for quite a while and always been working together. And um, but we, we both you know get got into crypto. Uh, Mike got a little earlier than I did. Uh, Mike was kind of getting in probably around 2013. Um, I kind of got in more like 2017 timeframe. And Mike, we were talking about it. And I remember we found like old G chats of Mike being like, "Yo, Bitcoin's so cool. Check this out." And you know, we yeah, we so. We've known about it for a while, but I, I kind of got more into it in 2017, started reading the Bitcoin white paper, finding this technology, which was like really fascinating. Um, and then around 2018, uh, so somewhat coincidentally, both of us uh, decided to join Coinbase. Uh, coincidentally, they both happened at the same time, but both because we thought crypto was very uh, compelling. And so we joined Coinbase in 2018. Um, we're there for a couple of years, started to see some of these kind of green shoots of DeFi popping up around like kind of like uh, in you know 2018 and like late 2019, early 2020, and um, really started to feel like this was going to be a green field for entrepreneurs. And, and Mike and I were really interested in starting to start something in this space. And you know that led into Goldfinch uh, specifically, which you know, we can get into that kind of specific story. Um, but Mike, I don't know if you want to tell a little bit more about kind of your crypto journey. Yeah, I think uh, another just big part of this was feeling a little bit antsy with, with the broader crypto industry, especially in like 2018, 2019, where we had a lot of these infrastructural pieces in place. But like uh, the thing that really got me into crypto was feeling like uh, this can really transform financial markets around the world and like expand access to capital and and really this whole aspect of financial inclusion that like people talk about a lot in crypto. Like I really believe it's possible. I really believe we can make it happen. And uh, we're almost feeling like in 2018, 2019, a lot of what has happened in crypto was kind of like a little bit self-referential or like really self-contained within crypto. And we have to like break out of that, both to increase the just the cap of what's possible in the DeFi space, but also to have this kind of impact 
on broader society. Uh, like if we're just within crypto, it's going to take a very, very, very long time. Uh, but if we can like break out into the broader global economy and like incorporate that into the DeFi space, that can dramatically increase the just the impact we can have uh, on our financial systems around the world. And so that was really a big part of wanting to start Goldfinch is like being like, okay, it's not necessarily like just happening. Like we have to will it into existence as an industry and being like, okay, let's start Goldfinch to like do that and to like make that happen. Amazing. I love that, that financial inclusive, inclusive lens. And Blake, what was it about Bitcoin that really kind of drew you in initially? Yeah. So I'd say it was, uh, it was, it was a couple things. So I mean, with Bitcoin specifically, I think I was just just kind of fascinated by the idea that you could play this kind of game with, you know, uh, hardware and solving math problems and end up in this thing that you could arrive at unified consensus among disparate parties. Like that was just a very fascinating concept. Obviously, this this problem had been existing in computer science for decades and no one had, had solved it before. I think I even read later on that, like uh, a few years prior to Satoshi's paper, there had been some other paper proving that it was mathematically impossible to to do this thing. <laughs> but of course, it turned out you didn't need math, you actually needed economics to make it happen. And someone thinking really outside the box to be able to create the solution, which is just you know so fascinating. Um, so that was interesting there. And then I think it was really, you know, Ethereum really helped kind of seal the deal for me with crypto, um, feeling like you could create these marketplaces that were decentralized where you were really inverting the, the control of the Internet from the you know, platform owning all the data to the user owning the data and these platforms plugging into that. And so thinking about those possibilities and how much of the Internet relied on this architecture of you know, platform owned data and feeling like it would be so much better you know, for users in like a, the Uber, Airbnb um, and your know, Facebook cases. Like, yeah, it's your data, right? You should be able to port it to different places and there should be different clients that work on top of that. At least that architecture was very compelling to me. And so that was the thing about Ethereum that really, really drew me in. It's still kind of the thing I find maybe most fascinating about decentralized systems. Amazing. And tell us a little bit about the Goldfinch founding story. Yeah. So we were, as I said, we were at Coinbase and kind of late 2019 and seeing these kind of green shoots of DeFi. Um, early 2020, uh, we uh, decided to get a little more serious about it. We actually joined the A16Z Crypto Startup School, the very first one that they did. And, um, you know, at the time, this was when Compound um, and Ave were starting to have some early success on this lending fully on chain, which was a very interesting way to do things, very novel. And um, we felt like, wow, you know, Compound and Ave, they're having all this success lending against these crypto assets where you have to put up more money than you have than, than, than to, to borrow and, or more money than you want to borrow than to actually borrow. You put up $150, you borrow $100. We're like, that's cool. But that's also like maybe, you know, 1%, not even 0.1% of all the loans that exist in the world. And so we want to say, how can we take this power of crypto and apply it to, you know, we would consider like a real lending or like, you know, normal lending where the borrower doesn't already have all of the capital up front. And so that was the thing for us. We were like, let's take that, but let's do it for real lending. And that way we'll also be able to, as Mike was saying earlier, kind of break out of this crypto uh, self-referential loop and get more into the real world. We've been very focused from the beginning about how do we bring in more people who aren't already in crypto? How do we get them the benefits of the blockchain um, and, and do that with real businesses and have real impact? I, I should probably also add that like, uh, you know, a lot of people have asked when we're starting uh, Goldfinch, why did we start with emerging markets? You know, and um, this gets at, I think one of the, the key things early on for us was, so we, we just started calling around to a bunch of businesses and trying to ask them about their problems. And we, we talked, we had a networks that got us um, talking with a lot of fintech companies in emerging markets, places like Nigeria, Kenya, India, um, Singapore, et cetera. Um, 
And you know, we just heard from them over and over again. This is a huge pain point, raising money for them. And uh, it, they spend like 50% of their time just trying to raise money, even though they have high quality businesses. And we, we came to realize it's really, it's more of an access premium that they're paying, less than like a risk premium. Like these are good businesses, um, but there's just not enough capital going into this space. And it's, we, they're, they're in this funding gap. You know, I'd say between about a few million dollars and like $20 million zone. Like if you want to raise less than a, a couple million dollars in your local capital markets, um, you know, you can probably do that in these emerging markets. Or if you want to raise more than $20 million, you can probably do that as well. You start getting the attention of Western institutions, but there's a big gap in between of quality businesses that are looking to raise in that two to $20 million zone. And there's just a big funding gap. And crypto is a good fit for this because um, crypto doesn't have the same hangups about emerging markets. It can send money anywhere in the world very easily. And so we felt like this was a, a place where a niche where these businesses really wanted to use crypto. They were like, crypto? Sure, I'm in. This is a huge problem for my business. And so we feel like that's obviously the place to start. And then on the investor side, you know, a lot of investors didn't have as many opportunities to get real yield that's uncorrelated with the rest of the markets. And so we wanted to put those pieces together. Amazing. Yeah, I love that you kind of broke out of that crypto echo chamber and you're really kind of helping people get support that otherwise wouldn't have it. Uh, and can we talk a little bit about numbers? Because I know you guys have had impressive traction. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I think there's, there's two numbers that I always look to that I think that they're most important. One is that Goldfish now has over $100 million in active loans around the world. Uh, and so we crossed that last year. And then in addition, Goldfinch has had zero losses through the protocol, so so no defaults. Um, and those are the two, those are the two, you know, big numbers to look at, the most important ones. So yeah. Amazing. Super exciting. So let's talk about these interviews that you conducted. I think you had over 70 interviews with people from, you know, Apollo to BlackRock to retired nurses. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, we also want to understand our users, understand what people are thinking about crypto. So uh, you're right, we did a, a ton of interviews with a bunch of different people across the investor stack, if you will. Um, and uh, just try to understand from them, you know, what do you guys think about crypto right now? How are you guys using it? Um, and what are your kind of investing needs and things like that? And, you know, I think some some interesting takeaways, you know, uh, this one I don't know, maybe won't be too surprising, but we're finding really across the stack that liquidity is, is king right now. I think that the, the markets have changed um, where before it was maybe either assumed you'd have it or people didn't have as much need because money was very easy to get. Um, and now that money's harder and, and things are more uncertain, liquidity is, is very uh, key. So it means people would be willing to trade off yield in the most, most cases to have the ability to exit their positions faster. Um, and so that's like a, a big thing that we've been thinking about. Um, it plays into some of the, the new call of a loan that we just launched um, you know, a couple weeks ago. Um, we can talk about that a little later as well. Um, other things, you know, we talked with some of these institutions and you know, I feel like a lot of these institutions, especially pre-FTX, were very open to crypto and they're they're kind of, but I would say it, it felt more in like a, a science experiment kind of way. They're sort of like, we should be checking this out. I want to understand, but they weren't quite sure how it fits in with their business yet. And so I think there's definitely still going to be a lot of work to do to make the case for institutions. Um, I think especially also we look, you know, post FTX, we're seeing a lot of the institutions starting to recede. And I think it's going to be difficult to be selling to institutions for the next year or, or so, at least while I think that that stuff kind of blows over and the regulations get more sorted out. That's also been a, a big thing we were hearing consistently from institutions. Just these regulations are, are making them weary of jumping into to crypto full stop. Um, I should say on the bright side, though, we were hearing consistently that um, basically all the major traffic institutions are looking into tokenization. They kind of see, I think, down the line, you're talking about a five to 10 year range, that tokenization of assets can be very, very powerful. Um, we've seen some uh, some proof of concepts of this, uh, you know, different different places are 
all kind of either trying to build or buy uh, their their some sort of tokenization platform. You know, like big big names, JPM included, and others are all trying to like build or buy some sort of tokenization platform. So I think they long term institutions are going to be there, but I think short term it could be a little tough. Um, <clears throat> we're also talking with credit funds a lot too, and you know one of the interesting things there I think is. The crypto can save operational overhead with them, and I think that much is clear to these funds. But it's right now with the, the regulation and the usability concerns, there's all these other costs that add up there that make it sort of in the total package. It's probably not worth it for them yet. And so I think that's another area where crypto really needs to help uh, improve things on the UX and just usability. And also, like, how do they fit into their workflow? Things like taxes, things like operations. Um, these are questions that need to be answered, I think, before we're going to see more of that adoption on the uh, credit fund side. Totally. And I personally kind of like when institutions get a little spooked uh, because I think crypto is really like a bottoms up movement. Right. And it's nice that individuals can kind of front run institutions. So let's talk a little bit about the alpha for individuals on on the uh, Goldfinch side. So how can listeners take advantage of this private credit market? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the way the way to take advantage of it is yeah, to, to use Goldfinch is uh, a great way to do it. And the way to use Goldfinch Finch is uh, basically uh, two steps: sign up and then and then invest. Basically, is like the, the quick answer. But uh, the the process involves going to the Goldfinch site, which is at uh, goldfinch.finance is is the site, and then there's a, a sign up flow where you essentially you, you need to go through KYC, which is actually un- a unique thing that Goldfinch does. But uh, you kind of like you get set up, uh, and then you can invest. And so like right now, the the the, the primary open deal is what we call the senior pool, and we can describe that later, but that's basically a pool that is diversified across all of the different underlying business loans through the platform. Um, but what also has been happening is we've been, as you know, the protocol has been opening up new deals over time. And so new, new deals will continue to be opening up. And so that's the second way, which is um, you can sign up to get notifications or you can just check. And then when a new deal opens up for a particular business, you can invest in that business, or you can you can you can provide a loan to that business, basically, and so that's the that's the high level way to to participate. It's basically, sign up, and then there's the open deals, and you just you you invest in it. Yeah, and we had an open deal that's actually closing tomorrow. Um, so I, I figured this actually will probably air later, but uh, you know these deals are are continuing to happen, and we'll be opening them more. Amazing. And talk to us a little bit about these businesses, just to kind of get the listeners to understand what's possible on Goldfinch. Sure. So the way the the, the kinds of businesses that are borrowing through Goldfinch. We describe them as as fintech and lending businesses that are operating around the world. And so what these businesses do is they make loans to consumers and small businesses or or just businesses in general around the world. And they have some uh, capability in the local market, like some basically like some some, uh, advantage there that enables them to make really good loans out in their local markets. And then they have a track record of many years of being able to make loans to these consumers and businesses and show that they are profitable over time across the many sub loans that they have. And then based upon that profitability and that prior track record, they can come to Goldfinch and say, look, we have shown that we have this like demonstrated performance. We just need more capital to expand our loan book. And that's, that's essentially what all of the businesses on Goldfinch are doing is they're saying they just need capital um, as their productive asset to just expand their operations. And so I think it's helpful to provide two examples of some like really cool companies. Um, but there's like a whole bunch of companies that have effectively been able to borrow money through the 
through the protocol. The first is uh, the one that, that Blake alluded to, which is called uh, FAS Financial, and they essentially provide financial services to small and medium-sized enterprises in Singapore and Indonesia. So they provide basically like um, like financial services and like and, and, and payment services, and then they can use that information to provide shorter-term working capital loans to these businesses, like. 30 to 45, 60 day kinds of loans. And so uh, they have been doing this for a while. Uh, they just like you know, raise a large round with Tiger Global. And so they just need more money to expand their operations. And so they opened up this recent deal with Goldfinch that's just closing now, basically as we speak, to expand their operations here and to like make more of these working capital loans to small businesses. And so that's that's one example. Um, but just to give another example of like on the entire other end of the spectrum is a company called Tigende. They are based in Uganda and Kenya. And what they do is they provide loans for motorcycle taxis. So what the way the way like the Uber of like Uganda works is uh, you you give people motorcycle taxi rides. And so they go to what they call micro entrepreneurs, individuals who want to get a who want to get a motorcycle so they can start earning through this like gig economy uh, living like and doing basically taxi rides. So it's like a, a $2,000 motorcycle and again, they will lend it to them. And then it's like rent to own over the period of two years. And they're like, the trick here, the, the way that Tegendi is able to be so effective is they put a GPS unit on the motorcycle. And so if the person stops paying for the motorcycle, they can actually go and like retrieve the, the asset itself. And so they have like a very strong repayment rate. And what Tegendi was doing is they had been operating in Uganda for a while with tens of thousands of micro entrepreneur customers, and they wanted to expand in Kenya. And so they borrowed through Goldfinch to expand and basically start up their operations in Kenya, which has, uh, which they've been now doing over the past uh, year or so. So that's another example. Uh, and again, they are also a lending business. Uh, the Goldfinch community is providing capital to them to be able to lend it out to these individuals who are now doing essentially like Uber taxi rides on motorcycles. And so uh, those are just like two examples, but all the businesses that are borrowing through, through Goldfinch are like using it to like grow their businesses and have this like very clear impact uh, in their local markets. Amazing. I love those examples. And it's great to know that the deals are timely. Uh, and talk to us a little bit about how the protocol works. You obviously have lenders and borrowers, uh, but talk to us about how the marketplace works. Sure, I can I can talk through it. So at a high level, the, the way it works is, is Goldfinch is built on Ethereum. Uh, and uh, it's a protocol. And so, yeah, so there's, there's borrowers who come to the platform that are looking for capital. And then there's lenders who supply to those borrowers. The high level works is that uh, like the, the big the big thing that we're trying to solve here, especially when you compare it to other protocols, is like if you look at Compound or Aave, like like Blake described before, they you need to like put up say $150 worth of ETH, you over collateralize it in order to borrow like $100 worth of USDC. Uh, but like to like that almost like for a lot of these businesses, this that's almost not even like a loan because the whole reason they want money is they like they don't have capital uh, to begin with, and so we have to base it off of not their um, not their existing like cash on hand essentially, but based upon their operations and like the off chain kind of collateral that they have. And so that the way it works is the borrower will come to the platform and they say, here's an amount of money that we want to borrow, and they provide a ton of information, and then there are uh, the investors who evaluate that borrower, we call them the backers, and they evaluate them and they provide capital directly to that, that borrower based upon the information they're sharing 
that's off chain and they sign a legal document with that borrower and now they and which includes like the collateral of their like off chain assets or their their future receivables or uh you know the what their what their holdings are as a company and so they supply capital through the protocol directly to that borrower uh and then that is that is effectively how how that works and that's how um you know a loan takes place there's also what i described of this, this senior pool, which is a diversified pool that also goes into these deals. Specifically why it's called a senior pool is it goes into the senior tranches of these of these loans. And so uh, if you're not familiar with the, the phrase tranching, like the way that these loans can work is you can have different levels of tranching where um, the senior tranche essentially gets money back first before like, uh, you know, subsequent tranches. So it's like when money comes back in, who has first claim to the the assets. And so we break it up into two tranches. Uh, the senior pool goes into the senior tranche and uh, it takes a, a slightly lower interest rate, but it's also more protected because it gets money back first. And so uh, if investors can also supply into the senior pool, which goes into the senior tranches, um, which also effectively is going into these loans, but it's both more protected and has a, a lower yield. And so that's basically like how the whole system works. But the, the simplified answer is is borrowers bring a, a pool, uh, which basically a loan, and then these backers vet the deal and they supply capital directly to those borrowers. Got it. Okay. And is it fully permissionless where like the investors are on their own to vet the deals or is there an, an initial vetting process on the side of Goldfinch? Yeah, the general way the vetting process goes is it is up to the backers to to vet the deal. But we have also started a community-driven uh, uh, credit memo program, which is where really experienced credit analysts will also evaluate these deals and then write up like detailed credit memos to to support them. In addition, the the borrowers themselves before they can even open up a pool and get uh, get uh, loans, they like present their information to the community, and they have to be approved by the community to basically like be a borrower in the first place. So there's like a, a couple steps of like um, the borrower proving that they are like real and sharing information and the community can like discuss with them and then uh, they provide really detailed information and then there's these credit analysts who uh help to analyze the deal and write credit memos that also provide their like like experience sort of like you know assessment of of the borrower to ensure that they are you know they are good and then in addition is also uh you know responsibility of the backers to uh do their own vetting as well to make sure that they are comfortable with the terms. And what's the incentive structure for these credit analysts? Yeah, they're just paid by, by the community. The community's paying them to, to do to do the work. Yeah, Amazing. Okay, cool. So t- the different roles in the network, how you can earn in the Goldfinch ecosystem, it sounds like there's borrowers, there's lenders, and then there's credit analysts. Anything else? Those are the big pieces of it. Yeah. Okay, awesome. And then talk to us about how interest rates are set. Are those completely set by the individuals or do you guys help to kind of find that equilibrium? Yeah. So the interest rate is basically, you can think of it as it's like proposed, you know, like uh, the, the borrower kind of has a sense of what market rates are and is discussing that, um, you know, with some of the community and then they're just proposing a rate. And so if investors don't like that, they can just choose not to invest or they could, you know, put something up on the forums and say they 
don't want to do that, um, which hasn't, hasn't really happened, to be honest, but they really just kind of proposed and sort of like figured out ahead of time. I would also add that just the way it tends to work is there's usually like conversations back and forth before a borrower will like share it as in like an official proposal. So usually the borrowers will chat with different members of the community, including folks from our team, but also other folks where we're like talking through what the options might be and like what the interest rates might be. So usually there's like from the social dynamic, a little bit of a you know consensus of like what seems reasonable with members of the community before like the official proposal is made to get approved. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. And then you touched on this a bit, but there is kind of some tension in the approach around centralized elements with KYC, but then you're also kind of black, blockchain maximalist. So can you talk to us a little bit about the decision to, to incorporate KYC and then also the benefits of using blockchain technology? Yeah, sure. So I think KYC is is a you know, good topic to discuss here. So first off, in terms of just like why fundamentally, um, the, the, the big main reason is that borrowers who are real business out in the world, they have KYC obligations. And it's it's very strict really all over the world that if you, know, if you don't follow that, then if they were to borrow from Goldfinch, that would be basically illegal or like, you know, they could face a lot of strict penalties um, for doing that. So the borrowers definitely require it. Um, and then I think it's, an important thing to think about KYC and this kind of centralization thing, like similar to stable coins in that there are stable coins that are centralized, but the protocols can be decentralized around them. Right. And, you know, the fact that compound uses USDC, for example, doesn't make compound necessarily centralized. And similarly with, with the Goldfinch protocol, Goldfinch community could choose to swap out to a different KYC provider if they wanted to in the same way that compound could swap out and say, I'm not using USDC anymore if they didn't like the way USDC was acting. So I think it is a centralized element um, but it is sort of a, a tool that the protocol uses and the protocol itself can still be decentralized. And that's kind of how, how we think about this. Blockchain, as Mike was kind of alluding to before, what the blockchain really adds here, I think, is a couple pieces. It adds um, accessibility um, through operational benefits as well as uh, liquidity enhancing structures. So, uh, you know, example of this is actually the callable deal that we just did. Um, that is sort of live right now and closing basically as, as we're speaking. But this is a new deal that, that Goldfinch was doing um, with this bar that we were calling callable. Um, it really means you have the ability to redeem your principal every quarter. So um, this is a really big win for liquidity on uh, from the investor standpoint. And what's interesting about this is the blockchain is really helping to improve the operational components of this and really make this deal much more feasible when you're talking about having lots of investors. So um, what this means, you know, as a borrower, at every you know, quarter, people will come in and say, okay, I'd like my, my principal back. And, you know, that could be hundreds or thousands of, of investors investing in a deal. And in traditional finance, that would be quite a lot of operational overhead for a borrower. They uh, either need to be paying a lot of intermediaries to be doing this kind of stuff for them, or they need to themselves deal with, okay, I've got 25 requests coming in. They're coming in from people all over the world. I need to send this money to different uh, different places, whatever their, you know, uh, payment system is. And it's going to cost XYZ amount of capital to do that. Um, but in crypto land, when we write a smart contract to do this, that borrower sends a single payment, no matter how many investors there are, going right to the smart contract. Then the smart contract handles everything else. No matter what financial system those investors are on, uh, they can just pull their uh, appropriate amount out from the smart contract. So that's an example of where we're using the um, blockchain to improve the operational standards, which then lets us do structures that improve the liquidity of these deals, um, especially for many, many investors. And so that's just one area where we think blockchain can help. But there's um, there's other sort of liquidity enhancing structures that are just a lot easier and cheaper to do um, on chain. So an example here is kind of similar to our senior pool where uh, there can be extra capital that sits in the pool. It can uh, affect the rate in a variable way. 
Um, and then people can instantly remove capital if there is capital there. If not, it can move to a kind of withdraw system that has pro rata effects based on how much capital is coming in. And if you were to do that kind of stuff in traditional finance, that would take you know custodians and third parties to be verifying balances of, of bank accounts and saying, well, how much was there each day? And you know, then you probably need to uh, have licenses to be able to send the money back and forth on behalf of other people. But the non-custodial nature of blockchain means those are all kind of peer-to-peer transactions or they're mediated through a smart contract, which no one needs to control. And so those are, again, we're just reducing costs on these structures that enhance the liquidity for these individuals, not to mention all the transparency benefits of knowing exactly when payments are coming in, um, which is something that a lot of private credit is, is very opaque and it's very untransparent. And so we think blockchain improves a lot of things there as well. Totally. Transparency, efficiency, and cost reduction. And yeah, from traditional finance, like the T plus two settle and then stuff breaks downstream. Oh and my goodness. Yeah. It's crazy, right? It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing how much more efficient it is. And talk to us a little bit about the culture within Goldfinch, what, the ethos, the vision. Yeah. So I think a big part of the, the ethos in general is this desire to in like this like commitment to having like real impact out in in the world and really making sure that we're using the benefits of of gold like of blockchain and crypto to like improve the way systems work even like outside of the crypto space and so that like like the very i think the very very first loan uh that happened through goldfinch was to a a company in in mexico that provides like smartphone financing to consumers and then the second one was in nigeria and so like basically from the very first dollar that went through the protocol it was all about okay how do we take these benefits of crypto uh and like have that sort of like impact directly in the world. And uh, there's there's two aspects of that like ethos and like that vision. One is just kind of like the mission of having having impact and like really, uh, you know, this path to like expanding access to capital and, and really improving the way our systems work. But the second is also about doing like really uh, having really high quality borrowers and and taking a long term view towards like sustainable and strong systems. And so uh, where a lot of what has happened, uh, especially within lending, it ha- in the past, it has been towards, say, like more like market makers or traders uh, within crypto that can be like. You know, the, it can be like it's highly volatile. It's highly tied to the crypto markets. And it's, it's also like just riskier. We kind of like from the very beginning had this view of like, OK, we want to take a more sustainable and like like higher quality kind of path there. And so going to these borrowers not only does it have uh, more impact, but they're also like really like high quality businesses and they're like long term businesses and they're looking to use the money to like expand operations over like years, not over months or weeks or something like that. And that is part of the reason why we have not seen on the Goldfinch protocol any defaults to date is that focus. And so like that's also like a focus on like long term sustainability. And so I think those are the two big parts uh, that tie together as part of like our, our ethos here, which is like having that impact and then uh, really focus focusing on like long-term sustainable and like high quality kinds of efforts. Amazing. And I imagine a lot of this is kind of red pilling a lot of these more traditional companies into crypto and Web3. Is that the case? And can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah. So we do have to, uh, you know, onboard these borrowers into crypto, which means getting them uh, you know, set up with MetaMask accounts and teaching them about, you know, using hardware wallets in some cases or, or Gnosis multisigs. And, um, and also get usually set up with an exchange account like Coinbase or Binance or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, we are definitely bringing on net new people into the space. And that's one of the things I think I'm, I'm most proud about doing. And I think we're, we're going to keep doing it. I just add quickly, there's a couple of stories with borrower where they were like doing their very first transaction where like they are, you know, hitting the button to like 
uh, draw down capital for a loan, and then like uh, they hit it and it lands in their address within what within a minute, within like twenty seconds. And they're like, oh, oh my god! Like it's like a light bulb moment when that happens because they're used to like the, the company in Tegende, for example. Like the the last time they had raised before Goldfinch, it took like over a week for them to get the money, and like their bank account had like uh, what's the word like uh, like didn't denied the initial wire from this other investor and they had to do it again as like a whole thing and then they go to Goldfinch and like within 20 seconds it's right there like in their address and they're like this is crazy uh we had another another one who says something similar and so like it's about asking them to you know jump through a few hoops and like try this out but then like when they do it and that it lands in their address like within seconds it's like mind-blowing to them we've seen that happen like a number of times now with some of these borrowers amazing yeah i think we've all been there with that light bulb moment incredible doing god's work uh let's Let's talk a little bit about how much diversity there is in the borrower pool and how does the money make its way to actual businesses? The borrowers on Goldfinch, the loans that Goldfinch has made, uh, as I mentioned, they all are going to businesses that have like lending operations within the local markets. But those those lending operations vary across a wide range of like sectors and industries, um, as well as uh, geographies. So I gave two examples, like one of, of like FAS that does like SME lending to businesses in Indonesia and Singapore. Another one to Gendi that's like more towards these kind of like cons- consumer entrepreneurs in Uganda and Kenya. This is like a wide variety of them. And so they all have lending businesses, but it's across now 20, over 20 countries, a combination of like businesses and consumers. Um, and so there's like quite a bit of diversification globally and across across industries there. And then you asked about how the money actually like lands in the hands of folks in the local markets. Um, the general path is these borrowers will set up accounts with some kind of an off-ramp. So they might use Coinbase or they might use Kraken or, or Binance or like one of these kinds of businesses. They will draw down USDC. So everything is done in USDC on, on the protocol. They draw down the USDC as their loan into their address and they send it to whatever off-ramp that they use, let's say, let's say Coinbase. And then from Coinbase, they withdraw the capital to their local bank account in whatever country they are. And then now they have the money in their local bank account and they continue their business operations the same way they do always, which is like they use their local fiat and they send that to their customers or clients as, as loans, the way, however they do that. And then as they get repayments back in and they owe interest back into the protocol, they do the same steps in reverse, which is like they take the capital, they on-ramp it with, with an exchange and they send the USDC to their address and are able to like make the interest payment directly through the protocol. So that's effectively how the capital is getting from like USDC and the protocol all the way into the hands of like a consumer who is like uh, lending, like, you know, borrowing a motorcycle, essentially. Amazing. And I have to ask, you know, were you impacted by Operation Choke Point 2.0 and the DPEG of, of USDC recently? So the short answer is no, uh, we were not. Thankfully, yeah. Yeah, thankfully. Uh, you know, the Goldfinch borrowers are, as we're saying, all over the world. So they're in many, many jurisdictions that are most of the money is not in the U.S. And so therefore Operation Choke Point sort of by definition would not have as much impact. Um, and then uh, USDC DPEG, uh, you know, it quickly repegged. And the, the, the smart contract actually sort of assumed that USDC is worth a dollar. So it didn't affect anything. Um, it, you know, none of the borrowers did anything weird anyway, but even if they had, it, since the price came back, everything was fine. Okay. And there wasn't like an uproar in the community because of the, the smart contract keeping it at a dollar. Oh, uh, some people were a little... Uh, some people were a little concerned. Uh, they were like, oh, is something going to go wrong or whatever? Um, 
and you know the church just everything was fine so everything's cooled down uh you know even i was a little worried for a bit but thinking about it's like actually no it's going to come back and it'll be fine (laughs) we we started thinking through okay what are all the different options we would have to resolve it and like even if there were a sustained dpeg there were a number of like paths we could have taken and but but it was great to see the community like keeping tabs on the you know state of affairs here and like you know bringing up questions and so we, we did we had to have a conversation with the community to talk through what we might need to do and what the options are and it was great to see folks be like you know very involved and thinking through what needs to happen and uh i'm sure this won't be the last time we have like something that we need to deal with as a community um but like it was good good to see that this was resolved pretty well and i think the next time anything happens i'm sure concerns will be raised we'll need to talk about it talk through solutions like the same way all of this stuff is always kind of like handled. Totally. And would you move to a more decentralized stable coin if one had the, the right liquidity? I think it, it depends on what the, the borrowers want to do. And there's also, there's really nothing stopping the protocol from having multiple stable coins be used. Um, and we've kind of thought about that as a thing that we might, might want to happen. But um, so far there hasn't been enough of a need and borrowers currently for the most part feel the most comfortable with USDC. Um, but it's just kind of up to them. Totally fair. And then what kind of yield can lenders expect on the platform? The loans that go through Goldfinch range between around 10 to 15% yields. And so that's generally that's generally the range. In USDC terms. Oh, in USDC terms. So for example, the recent deal that was open, it's a 13% yield to, to the the lenders who provide to that deal, they tend to range based upon what what the market rates are and the, like the size of the company. But um, that's the general range, ten to fifteen percent. Amazing. And I know Mazari reported that you guys grew outstanding loans by one hundred and sixty two percent year over year in two thousand and twenty two, with no defaults, as you alluded to earlier. Can you tell us a little bit about the growth you've been seeing? Yeah. And so a lot of that growth was driven in early twenty twenty two. We're doubling like every month um, and expanding to all of these. Uh, expanding loans across all of these countries now in over 20 countries. Um, and so, yeah, that was great to see the early growth. And then also kind of to what also happened is like in the most recent sort of year too, is like after we grew pretty significantly in early 2022, we saw the broader markets, like the broader crypto markets having a downturn. And there it was like seeing you know, overall DeFi TVL was falling maybe about like 75% or so, I think, in that time frame. I don't know the exact numbers. And then also, when you look at other kinds of credit protocols like Goldfinch, saw similar overall dips in the TVL and like the active loans that were going through these protocols, like similar to like 70% plus declines. Um, but during that same time, Goldfinch has held steady and hasn't had declines and also hasn't had any defaults. And that is testament to what I described before of going to borrowers who are really high quality and are not tied to the crypto market. So like when the crypto markets fell so significantly and a lot of like, say, market makers and traders who had borrowed through different kinds of protocols, uh, their demand fell and also, you know, some of these protocols experienced losses as well. Um, But with Goldfinch, the borrowers are still are still providing to small businesses in Indonesia and like you know taxi drivers in Kenya and so that was not affected by the crypto markets and so Goldfinch was able to maintain the same level of active loans that's held steady and we've continued to see zero losses through it um, and that's like what we expect to continue to see there as we start to like you know grow again as the markets have come back a little bit and so that is that's like the high level of like what what Goldfinch has seen I think what has like set it apart amazing yeah it's nice that it's decorrelated and I know you guys have been making 
making waves on the UX and UI side between account abstraction, embedded wallets. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, basically, I, I think that this is going to be the year for crypto UX to really start to, to step up. Um, there's a lot of technologies that are coming together this year. Notably, you have uh, layer twos, which obviously have already been in production for a couple of years, but you have the Cancun upgrade happening, which is going to reduce their fees by another 10 to 100x. You've got account abstraction, you know, the ERC-4337 that uh, has been recently kind of been launched. Um, and then you also have these things like embedded wallets, which are starting to launch as well, these kind of wallet as a service programs. Um, you know, Coinbase launched one, but there's other ones, Web3Auth, there's uh, Economy. There's a number of players now in the space that are getting into this embedded wallet thing. I think, you know, you put all those three things together and all of a sudden crypto can start making experiences that rival Web2 or even, you know, surpass them in certain cases. And we think this is going to be a, a really important trend uh, coming through the whole crypto space over the next year. And so it's something we are very interested in, in trying to bring to the Goldfinch protocol. We really want to you know, really create like the, the next level, like set the new standard for DeFi UX. Um, it's, stuff where it's not live yet, but it's something that's being actively worked on. Um, and I think this is uh, just going to be such a great thing because I feel like you, know, you just look around, right? How many users Coinbase has, right? It's like 100 million users. How many users just like Compound and Uniswap app? You know, like thousands of users and it hasn't really been growing that much and like i think a lot of that does come down to the ux right obviously people are interested in crypto if they want to be going to a place like like coinbase but they need an experience that just works with them right and i think the the cost of using l1s being prohibitive the crazy metamask stuff of like having to use chrome extensions it's just you put it all together and it just stacks up and it's just kind of too much when you have other alternatives that are like pretty good in web2 space and so i think it's time for web3 and non-custodial stuff to really step up and so we're we're interested in kind of leading that leading that charge and um, i think it's going to be the year to do it amazing and for listeners who might not be familiar can you double click into the cancun upgrade and what embedded wallets are yeah, yeah, totally. I yeah, should have said that. So the Cancun upgrade is a uh, Ethereum level upgrade that's going to be taking place um, within the next few months. It's, it's later for some time this summer. And the they're going to be basically introducing this new opcode around call data that's going to make things very, very cheap for L2 specifically to send their call data to L1. And so the, the net effect of this is that L2s only, not Ethereum itself, um, but L2s will get 10 to 100x cheaper um, than they already are. And they're already, you know, 10 to 100x cheaper than L1 is. So uh, this is going to make them like very, very cheap, usually like, you know, maybe sub pennies or like a few pennies for transactions. Um, and of course, they'll also be, be fast. And then things like embedded wallets, what this means is you don't have to use MetaMask, right? So a, an app itself could use one of these embedded wallet providers and could create a wallet for you right there in the app. It's still self-custodial. It'll use things like uh, uh, multi-party computation or MPC, which has also been something that it's been getting developed and maturing over the last few years um, to make sure that it's still, it's kind of like a multi-sig wallet, except it feels like an EOA uh, or you know, externally owned account like a normal MetaMask one, but it's, it's actually got the multi-sig um, security, which is even better, much better than using MetaMask in terms of security. So it's gonna be safer and I think it's gonna be more flexible as well. Um, and it'll be right in the app, so you no need for an extension. And you could do things like social sign-in, um, you know, log, log in with Google or log in with uh, Facebook if you really wanted to. Um, and I think you put all these things together, it's going to be like, oh, you just sign up for an app. There's no extensions. It's fast. It's cheap. A lot of apps, when things get that cheap, are probably just going to start paying for the gas of their users for them um, because it's, it's just not that big of a deal. Uh, you know, a few thousand bucks could probably pay for tons and tons of transactions. And so I think this is where you're going to start to see users go, oh, 
this is just great. I'm like, I barely even know that I'm using the crypto uh, blockchain thing, but I'm starting to get the benefits of it. Amazing. Super exciting. I guess now the question is, now that we've solved scaling, what are we going to do with the extra block space we have? What are some of the use cases you guys are most excited about? So, I mean, one thing, uh, I think that when you can start to get that kind of speed and that kind of scale, things like Uniswap I should be able to basically implement real order books and actually get that efficiency that people like out of centralized exchanges and the speed. But we'll have the non-custodial nature, which just completely eliminates the risks that we saw with things like FTX. Um, and I think will help move more people onto uh, on-chain as the native way they do things because exchanges and trading have historically been the primary thing that people are doing with crypto. And so moving that fully on-chain in a way that completely rivals the Web2 experience, I think will be transformative for getting a lot of the 100 million users that Coinbase has to just say, oh yeah, I'm just going to do thing everything on-chain in my wallet and I'm just going to have money already there. Um, so it sounds like, a, you know, it's maybe it's not too exciting, but I think overall the net effect will be really powerful for the space. So that's what I'm, I'm excited about. Amazing. Mike, any anything you're excited about on the horizon? No, I, I believe in like the similar kinds of things. And then also what you mentioned of like, um, oh, how will we use the extra block space? Like, I don't think we'll have any trouble doing it. Like, I feel like what we've been doing as an industry over the past few years is like, really working within pretty significant constraints and there's like a whole i think there's like a whole slew of like uh you know design space that we can make more sort of like involved or like nuanced sort of product experiences that are based on that so i'm, I'm also just kind of excited for like the the new ideas that we we come up with that will be possible because of this like basically like new new space we have to work with. Totally. Amazing. Well, let's talk a little bit about your token. You launched it about a year ago. What is the approach that you guys took to protocol fees? And tell us a little bit about how that may accrue to token holders. Sure. So yeah, there, there's a token. Um, but yeah, talking first about the protocol fees. Right now, the protocol takes fees in two ways. One is 10% uh, of interest goes to the protocol treasury and then 0.5% of withdrawals also go to the treasury. So the, 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 the community's treasury has been uh, accruing revenue in this way over time. Um, then to speak to the, and, and, and the protocol can now use that to pay for lots of different things like paying for community moderators in the Discord, paying for, like, uh, the, the community just paid for actually a, a legal template to use for future deals, which is great because those can get, get really expensive. We went with, like, a you know, the community went with like a top law firm and had this legal template. So the community's been using that, um, which just benefits everyone who's participating in the protocol. There's also the token GFI, which is a, a governance token. So um, the this is the this is the mechanism we use for making changes to the protocol, where people who have the the governance token of GFI can participate in votes on any change that the protocol is making. One thing um, that is really cool is. Uh, the, the way that the votes uh, are used, like the way the votes are calculated. I'm forgetting actually the phrase like, for it at the moment, but like where, yes, quadratic voting. Uh, we The protocol uses quadratic voting, which is really unique, um, where you use the, the square root of the vote amount per person, and that helps to ensure that it's like a more kind of like equitable vote and you can't have like whales with the token really significantly sway the um, the vote there. And we're able to do that because we have civil resistance, uh, which which means that like people, we can prevent people from creating just multiple accounts because we can use the, that KYC element to know that they're individual users. So we can separately describe this, like I think, very cool 
cool way that the governance token works for making votes. Um, but in addition, another thing that you can do with the governance token is you can participate in membership. And so membership is a system that the protocol launched, which is a way to enhance the lending API that you're already getting. So for folks who get uh, who have already participated and supplied to borrowers, they're effectively like paying this fee as a percent of interest. Well, they can like they can also participate in membership, which is when you participate, uh, when you provide the capital that you've lent out, like the the NFT that's used for it, and you put it into membership, and then you also include the GFI tokens, you get a portion of the revenue that's coming into the protocol. So. 50% of the revenue that is going into the protocol's treasury has been allocated to this membership program, which is effectively like a like an APY enhancement on on the lending APY. So you need to have both. Basically, like when you when you've when you've lent to the protocol, you use the the token basically as your your ticket to participate in membership and and get even like higher higher yield there. And there, there's more complicated dynamics of how it works, but basically the, the idea is to have a relatively equal amount of like capital position and the GFI token to to basically optimize the yield your your the extra yields you're getting on on your capital position. I was gonna say one thing I think to add to this, Mike actually wrote a whole piece on this whole membership thing and how we were thinking about it that I think is just worth touching on here, which is um, this this idea of kind of a what we're calling a owner-centric model, which is kind of a typical one versus like a participant-centric model. And we really felt like we want to go and have more of a participant-centric model. So instead of, we think a lot of, a lot of protocols, a lot of tokens, we're starting to, coming at this question of like, we have people who own the token, what should we give them to do, you know? And we wanted to kind of flip that around and be like, we have people using the protocol, how do we get them to feel like owners, right? And how do we get them to want to buy in to the protocol itself and act like owners? And that's where we said, okay, no, you need to actually be participating as a lender and in the protocol. And then if you also have the governance token, great, you can put those things together and you can get an APY enhancement. That's, that's something that builds on the value that that participant is already getting. Um, and using the the token to help enhance the value they're already getting versus looking at it as like, well, these people own the token. How do we just like, I don't know, give them money or give them something to do, which I think is sort of the wrong way to go about it. I feel like it's kind of flipped and it fits more within the ethos of crypto to us because crypto is about having uh, kind of user owners, right? And they, they're, they're both at the same time. I love that. I'm going to start tasking the graph holders with some of my day-to-day work. I think it's genius. Uh, and and it's, it's nice because people feel bought in and they, they feel like they're making a difference, which I really like. Can you tell us a little bit about how you went about that? Like who comes up with the tasks, who participates? Is it all kind of permissionless? Whoever wants to, do you kind of have a group of people you go to? How how does it work? Oh, so I mean, our our, our system right now is is really about that if you are a, a lender, if you're an investor in the deals, then you can use the token to enhance that value you're already getting of participating in these deals. Um, it's not like an open task marketplace, so that sounds like a cool idea. Okay, <laughs> interesting. And like with the finding the legal template, can you tell us a little bit about how that went? Yeah, yeah. So um, the way, so we, we, we have a, like a, a discourse page, like a governance forum where anyone can make proposals and then there are, like the community has already basically paid for community moderators that help help like moderate the process but effectively it's like anybody can make a proposal of something um and then the community votes on it and so we have had a few different kinds of tasks in the past where it's basically a community member saying i think this thing would be beneficial 
for the Goldfinch community. Here's what I'd like to do, and here's like how I'd like to be paid for it. Uh, and so I think like that has worked pretty well so far with like you know including things like the legal templates and other things like that. Um, and so that's been going well. And then I think what would happen, you know, as it starts to really scale up if we get to like a ton of tasks that we probably need to get to more of like a grant system and have you know subcommittees uh, that are able to do some of the vetting but right now the volume hasn't been like overburdensome for the community and so that's the way it works right now is basically these proposals to the community and then they get voted on on snapshot exciting okay cool and then talk to us about your roadmap for 2023 and 2024 and any layer two plans you have how about really comes back to what what blake described before about seems like we're at this moment where different technologies are coming together that make it possible to offer like a really strong experience for folks in the, you know, like for like broader consumers, essentially, um, to use protocols. I, I, I still think it is, it is really surprising to me that there's like so many people who have used Coinbase, but like a small, much smaller sliver of folks who've actually used protocols. Um, and I think as Blake described, it is tied back to the U, the UX experience. And when we incorporate things like embedded wallets and account abstraction, and also uh, layer twos to re- reduce uh, you know the fees of gas, or even just like remove them entirely, that opens up like a really wide group of potential folks who could use a protocol like Goldfinch, who might otherwise like you know not not be able to like use like the metamask plugin and like you go to the exchange and you get ethereum and you send it over plus your money and you have to go through all these different steps um and so the the roadmap i would say is a combination of two things one is is really making this like a the like the new standard for what it looks like to have a a protocol ui experience that is uh like not just like hoops that like a more consumer oriented market needs to jump through, but it's actually like an amazing experience that rivals or is even better than a Web2 experience. So that's one aspect of it. It's just like making that experience just like, you know, 100x better than it is today. Uh, the second thing is what we also alluded to before is that like one of the superpowers of crypto is improving the liquidity and the operational efficiency of doing of doing these loans. And we, we you know, as a community made this initial kind of improvement that the like callable loan structure that Blake described where uh, on a quarterly basis, you can request your capital back and the borrower will supply it back to you. And uh, smart contracts are automatically handling all of the operational complexities of that. But what that means for the investor is way higher liquidity than, than otherwise. Like typically with a private credit deal, you put capital in and like minimum three years, but often even longer kind of a thing is when you can actually see the capital back. But crypto enables us to improve the liquidity there. So the second part of the roadmap is about more mechanics like that. How can we keep leveraging these benefits of crypto to keep like increasing the, the liquidity and like what's possible there on the loans? And so those are those are like the two big like high level aspects of the of the roadmap is one is like make that UX just like well beyond anything we've seen uh, with protocols in the past. And then the second is continue to push on the increase of liquidity on these loans with mechanics like the callable loans, but building on that um, and, and make, making that possible. Those are the two parts of it. Amazing. I want to get to the layer two piece in a second, but before we do, can we just double click into what account abstraction is for the listeners? Yeah. So account abstraction is a 
standard that has been created uh, called ERC-4337. And what it does is it creates these just set of standards that allows for smart contract wallets to exist on chain. And smart contract wallets means that the user is interacting with a protocol through a smart contract. And the upshot of this is that that smart contract can do a lot of cool stuff for the user. It can do stuff like bundle together many transactions. For instance, like, oh, I want to swap this token on Uniswap, turn it into USDC, and then invest over here in Compound. And like, boom, you could just turn that into one bundle and make all one transaction to do that because the smart contract can do many things at once. Um, it can allow for different types of signing schemes to so allow for you to have a social sign-in or use some other sort of cryptographic sign-in if you want that. Um, it can allow for gasless transactions it can allow, or it can allow you to pay in a different token, allow you to do things like I want to pay with USDC for this, because I, but I don't already have Ethereum. Someone else can pay for you and handle the Ethereum while you just pay a little bit more USDC if that's all you have. So huge range of UX improvements are possible through account abstraction. And there's a number of companies who are now trying to make APIs to help developers use account abstraction abstraction easier throughout their app. Uh, so I think this is going to be a big, big unlock for the for the space. We're definitely going to be uh, trying to incorporate it in GoFund. Amazing. And then what about plans to migrate to an L2? Are gas costs interfering kind of with you being on Ethereum? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think we also we definitely want to uh, move to an L2 as well. Um, you know, still thinking through what that would be. But uh, for all the reasons we've talked about, we want to expand to a broad audience. We think many individuals are the right space, uh, people who are still interested in crypto and also going to benefit the most from the deals that Goldfinch is providing. And so we want to create an app and an experience that feels natural for that type of, of user to use. And, you know, $15 gas, keys, gas fees is not going to do it. Um, so it has to be way, way lower. And so we have to move to an L2. And so we're definitely going to be doing that as well. Amazing. And then the last question is just how are you both defiant? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, one of the ways we've probably been defiant within the crypto industry is that... From the beginning, we've been focusing on real world stuff. We kind of tell you how many times people told us, why are you going after more crypto native borrowers? This seems so silly. What are you doing? Um, and we have defiantly been saying, no, we want people who aren't crypto native to be using our protocol. And we're going to continue to do that by pushing out for this more Web2 experience to get people who aren't already thinking about crypto to, to start using it. Yeah, I would just add to that because I, I agree with that entirely, which is like, throughout the entire process of this, but especially at the very beginning, we had like many people just straight up tell us, you should go to crypto native borrowers. Like you should go to crypto traders and crypto market makers and build for them first and then and then figure out the rest later. Basically being like going into like the real world space and glo uh, broader global economy. It's just like, it's really hard. And like, we had a lot of people just like straight up tell us like, uh, you you should you shouldn't do that. Like you should just go to the crypto folks um, and saying like the markets aren't gonna like it. They similarly they were like you can't do KYC. They're like the crypto space expects uh, to be entirely anonymous. They're not gonna be willing to KYC and just basically telling us you shouldn't do it. Um, but we were just like no. Like if we want to actually do the thing that we have to do, which is like the real broader economy. If we if we if we want to break out of the crypto space, like it's it's not just gonna. It's not just going to happen on its own. Like we have to like do that. We have to like push through and like make that actually work. We have to do things like KYC, even though a lot of folks are like, I don't know about KYC. And it's like, well, if you if we want to do this thing, like that's going to be part of it. And then like if we want to like go to borrowers out in the world, and that's where we see the benefit. That's where we see the impact longer term. Like we have to start from the beginning. And so I think that like uh, it, it has taken several years to 
like I think like now even especially in the past year we're hearing a lot more about like real world assets and tokenization things like that which is like great to see and I hope that like as an industry we embrace that and like keep pushing on it um but like it does require to like keep pushing on it because the easiest or most common thing that we hear uh both within and outside the crypto space is like oh don't it's like that's too hard don't do that go to like the go to the crypto folks kind of thing and like we you just gotta have to like you have to make it happen uh kind of a thing and so that's something that we've been doing from the beginning amazing yeah you have to create a bridge to the crypto native solutions and it sounds like that's what you guys are doing so thank you so much for all the efforts there and thanks so much for coming on the defiant this was great thanks for having us thanks a lot, Kagan. 